On this episode, we discuss Accidental Love. Also known as Nailed, directed by David O. Russell under the name Stephen Green. It's confusing. everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, Dan McCoy. <laughs> I'm Stuart Wellington. Hey, Dan McCoy and Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin, and we've got some very special guests with us today. May I introduce them to you guys? Yes. Oh, please do. Yes, I wanted to get your full consent before introducing them. <laughs> I did not want to strike this, surprise you with them, or you just spring them on you as, as surprise mm. guests. These aren't surprise witnesses, although no, I do you- have those later on. We emailed about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, don't pull back the curtains, too. Uh, so we have some special guests today. Uh, we, uh, this doesn't happen a lot for us. We're going to talk about a movie, and we have with us the writers of the movie. That's right. Joining us. You may know their work from The Man Show or Crank Anchors or Solar Opposites. They created the shows Drawn Together and What Just Happened, and they're currently writing on Housebroken on Fox. You could also watch it on Hulu, but it's also on Fox Monday nights. They're Matt Silverstein and Dave Jesser, the writers of Accidental Love, a.k.a. Nailed, right? Hey, hey guys, thanks for joining uh, well, us. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for having us. It's nice to be on a show about a movie we wrote. And th- this is a podcast where you talk about the worst movies ever, <laughs> right? Not the worst I didn't. I didn't know the premise of the show. I feel like I've been blindsided. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I told him it was more of an inside the screenwriter studio type of thing. You know, we, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think this is the first time this has happened. We, we of course, Chris White's uh, was on a mini where we talked a little bit about New Moon, the movie that we made fun Twilight of New before. Moon. And we but, talked uh, a little bit. We had a mini where we talked to uh, the, the writer of the Super Mario Brothers movie. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah. But this is yeah, the first we've like, never, sort of main episode where we're talking to people uh, this deeply is, involved in the it's film. It's the first time where we're really going to we're really going to be dissecting the movie with the people who who are yeah, somewhat yeah. This involved. Is, this involved. is all uh, this is all on our quest to eventually have Paul Schrader on here and then our <laughs> show will immediately be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> What's he going to be talking about? Marmaduke? Is he that talks the, about all is kinds that the of movie shit. you keep claiming he wrote. No, he wrote Heartbeats, Dan. I've oh, said heart it like a million no, times. Paul Schrader was not involved with Heartbeats, Stuart. I don't know why. I mean, okay. I, and you go on Wikipedia now, and it says Heartbeats, a Paul Schrader joint, which is not accurate at all. Not, not when true. I was watching the card counter, I couldn't help but think about Heartbeats the whole time. <laughs> I think that's just I mean, a card you. Counter, it is about a somewhat robotic man. I can understand that. But anyway, mm-hmm. this isn't a podcast about Paul Schrader. Dan, what, what do we do on this oh. podcast? Well, uh, we watch a bad movie, and then we talk about it. And um, this is... Is a, a movie. I'm sure we'll get into it. That um, had all the pieces in place to be a, a good movie. A, a, a very fine director of films, David O. Russell. Although, I mean, I, I I've heard negative personal things about him, but I like. I mean, his as movies. a human being, I think we we can't give him top marks, but he's certainly yeah. a talented <laughs> filmmaker. He's a talented and it's filmmaker. got a it's got a top notch cast full of big name stars, and yeah. uh, and behind the scenes, you've got two of the best screenwriters in the biz. Jesser mm-hmm. and Silverstein, Silverstein and Jesser. So, but it went well, through a lot for- of production things. <laughs> yeah. which yes, sure well, Matt, Matt our career, we sort of based on the on the guiding principle that we want to make something that either everyone loves or hates. And I think this is another success. <laughs> <laughs> you want you don't so want to make a wishy-washy movie. Not for no. you, the two and a half star. Yeah, it was fine. No, you want to, no. you really want to divide opinion. All stars or no stars, Elliot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
how so tell us so I uh to be so uh full disclosure I work with Matt and Dave on Housebroken and uh they're really fantastic and both fantastic writers and great people and I love talking to them and so I was very excited to have them here when I found <laughs> when I found out that they wrote this movie and I'm curious and can you explain to the audience kind of where where you were in your careers this is 2015 and how you got involved in this movie um which had all the earmarks of a hit Totally, yeah. Big name director, um, big name stars. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we had just finished. We uh, drawn together was just canceled, Um, and I think I don't know if we were doing anything specific, right? We were probably just starting to work with Twentieth. I think we worked on a show called Unhitched, which was a Fairly Brothers show. We come off the strike, right? There was a strike, and we were in desperate need of health insurance. Oh, that's what it was. (laughs) That's right. We needed health insurance. Ironically, this is the movie we ended up working on because we needed health insurance. And the movie's about getting health insurance. The secret to how big name Hollywood people get involved in bad projects, a lot of times with actors, it's that they have a divorce they have to pay for. And with screenwriters, it's that they need health insurance. And that seems to be the the constant tale. You yeah, know, that's right. Because the, we worked on our, our animated show, Drawn Together. A lot of animated shows aren't guild and Drawn Together wasn't. So we didn't get health insurance. That's right. And then strike came. We're like, oh, my gosh, we need, we need yeah, our health insurance. My wife was pregnant. We told, And we needed to make a combined total. I think it was $40,000. And we said, we need to need to make a guild $40,000. And through our manager or agent or someone, they said, oh, David O. Russell is mm-hmm. making a movie based on Kristen Gore, Al, Gore da- Al Gore's daughter's book called Sammy uh-huh. Sale. And he wanted some crazier, uh, dumber writers. <laughs> and then Kristen now, guys, Gore was I'm, too smart. I'm not in the biz, so you guys can uh, help me read between the lines. But when you say health insurance and pregnant wife, does that just mean gambling debts? <laughs> <laughs> Gambling and meth. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> designer <laughs> drugs. So then we, so then we, we, we went and we met with him, and it was great. We went to his house, which looked like, um, it looked like a frat house, right? Like it was like it was. There's like only like a dirty couch and a, and a half filled pool in the backyard, and, and crappy <laughs> lawn furniture. And we just went outside and just started talking to him. And he was in a bathrobe, at least in it's my memory. Sign. He was in a bathrobe. What is what year are we talking, Dave? What is this? 2002? 2004? What? Yeah, talking 15 years ago. Yeah. So, so uh, you're, <laughs> this sounds to me like Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights, was it? it was, oh, it was a little bit like it that. had that whole vibe. And so he's like, listen, uh, I, I wrote a script for this book. I'm writing it with uh, Kristen Gore. It's her book, Sammy Hill. Uh, and, and we're adapting it to a movie. And I'm like, well, would you like me to read the book? And he's like, no. We don't want it to be anything like the book. Let's get rid of the book. And I was like, well, do you want me to read the draft you guys did? No, we don't want you guys to read the draft. We don't want it to be based on the book or the draft we did. But I do want to do a movie about a hot girl going to Washington. <laughs> and then, so then we started riffing on ideas off of that brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. The original title was Sexy Smith Goes to Washington, I think. It was, right? yeah. 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 So that's what we had to start with. Um, and then I'm not quite sure what, how, how it then all ended up, but uh, I think we started pitching on ideas about uh, a, a woman trying to get health care in D.C. And then we brought up uh, an episode we did of Drawn Together where one of our characters had a brain tumor that hit different parts of her brain and activated different parts of her personality. So she was sometime a big nymphomaniac or a racist stereotype. Uh, and, 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 and I think he really sparked to that. And then we came up with the nail on the head and... And then the rest is history. And then uh, mm-hmm. we're all, yeah. because when you were when you were working on this movie, it was called Nailed because it's it to, to give away some of the plot it involves a woman who gets a nail in her head that changes her personality sometimes. As opposed to th- this is a it's a confusing movie because it's available under the title Nailed on Tubi, but when you watch the movie, 
the title card says accidental love. Yeah. And so it's like even the movie Quant- – It's I guess it's a real sign that the movie doesn't know what it Wait, wants to be. Wait, I could watch this on Tubi. I watched it on IMDb TV with all those stupid commercials. Tubi I, also but, has stupid commercials. Yeah, I don't know what you're oh, like. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the, and other, uh, the other fascinating thing is like where David Russell was in his career at that point, he had just – he did I Heart Huckabee's and I think there was nothing really going on. He was sort of in a lull. I guess that's why we were able to get in there. And um, <laughs> did he do, do Three Kings before that uh, as well? He did. Well, yeah, listen, first, he did a bunch of great one, right? movies. Oh no, I guess Spanking the Monkey. Spanking the Monkey. One, right? uh, yeah. And then I remember. I remember getting off at the Astoria subway in Forest Hills, the subway station there, and there was still like. 10 to 15 years later, there was still a Three Kings poster kind of stuffed <laughs> behind a ticket kiosk thing where they're just like, well, we can't really use this anymore, so we'll just leave this artifact forever. Well, that, that's like the uh, – the, there, uh, there used to be like a gas station on Broadway around Houston. I don't know if it's there anymore, and it's or it was a parking lot. And they had a huge ad for The Majestic starring Jim Carrey, and it was an enormous that. standee, probably – 20 feet tall of a sad Jim Carrey. And it was the, and the movie opened and closed within weeks, but that was there for, it felt like 10 years. <laughs> like you would walk by it and it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a relic of an ancient civilization where Jim they worshiped Carrey's the majestic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look upon my works. He was funny the biggest and star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a huge star. Uh, so do you, do you want to talk at all, uh, Matt and Dave about, about the conflict behind the scenes, uh, with, with this movie, or would you rather well, help your uh, let, let me Let not? me uh, set you up, Matt, because because basically it was clear with David O. Russell, and we had never worked with him. We had a great time working with him, but it was always a new idea, new idea, new idea. Uh, he saw the movie Monster House, and that changed his perspective on the movie. So at some point, Matt and I <laughs> did get a job and had to move on and left him and Kristen Gore to finish writing the movie. We had no idea if it was getting made, then we heard it was. Anyway, it was years later when we got a call from the Writers Guild saying, hey, there was a submission for credits for this movie. And just so you know, you are not getting any credit. And we said, well, that makes sense. We had moved on in our careers. We weren't around for the shooting of the movie or the finishing of the script. So we thought, all right, that makes sense that Kristen Gore would rewrite everything we wrote. Because most of the stuff we wrote was about a guy who had a boner forever and a guy who had a prolapsed rectum. And that (laughs) stuff didn't seem like it was in Kristen Gore's world. But it was the night we got the call or the day we got the call from the guild saying, hey, if you don't uh, put in a file to get credit or whatever it is, then you won't get credit in the movie. And Matt decided, oh, I'll, I should just read like, at fine, least I'll read. I'll read what they submitted. And you had you had something like 24 hours Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it was, that, right? they, they had called me like a few times. And then it was literally like, yeah, like it's the end of the day today or by, by, by midnight. If you don't file something, you can't get credit. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll at least read what they submitted. And then I read the treatment, and it was a treatment that we wrote, but our names were taken off of it. So then I immediately <laughs> look on my, you know, I look back. I mean, we're talking. It was already like three or four years after the fact. And I look on my computer, and I, and I find the exact document, but Whoa. with our names also on it. At which uh-huh. point then I was like, well, I just kind of lost my mind. And I'm like, well, n- now I do want credit. I don't care how <laughs> shitty this movie is. Like, they erased my name. I, I want to go ahead and and then Dave got a copy of the script or a version of a shooting draft or something. And he started, he just sort of skimmed through it. It was like, yeah, there's there's some stuff here that we, we you know, stuff from the original draft. I'm like, well, fuck then. Let's, let's try to get some credit. Like at least get a story by credit, which is what we really felt we deserved because we thought we, we helped develop the story. And by the um, way, just as a as a, a coda, we didn't get paid enough for the movie to get health insurance. <laughs> if 
if we did not, if we got story, if we got credit for the movie, you know, you get a certain bump. That bump would have taken it past the threshold where we would have had, you know, in, in the Writers Guild, you use credits. So you basically use up credits until you can't have health insurance. So we had to use up these credits and then lose our health insurance ultimately. But this would have gotten us back over that threshold. So, we so you, weren't do, you weren't just doing this for vanity. You weren't just doing this to see your name in lights. You were doing this for your family. So Matt's was out of spite and Dave's was out of his love for his family. Yeah, Matt, Matt married well. He didn't need health insurance. I was having a baby. I had my meth and gambling problem. So we each had our own reason. So so then I, you know, we, we sat down and we, we penned a letter to the arbitration committee, the WJ, the people that then look a, a uh, neutral party who looks at the scripts, looks at all the materials and decides who deserves credit. Uh, and so then I, I wrote this letter. Matt, if you would feel comfortable with reading some of this letter to us. I don't know if I'm comfortable, but I, I'll do it. Um, here it is. It's July 29th, 2013. Um, wow. Heady times. <laughs> yeah. All right. Dear members of the arbitration committee. While you have most certainly read in the trades that we, Dave Jesser and Matt Silverstein, are seeking story credit on the Jessica Biel vehicle nailed, do not be fooled, the stakes have never been lower. Even the director, David O. Russell, is refusing credit on this tasteless piece of cinematic diarrhea. Unfortunately, <laughs> given the current status of our writing careers, we cannot afford to be denied the credit we deserve on any crappy movie. And make no mistake, this movie is total shit. But we are responsible for at least taking half of this shit. And it's important for the world to know that Matt Silverstein and Dave Jesser squeezed out a painfully large portion. Wow. Uh, okay, so it goes on. Uh, now, Kristen Gore believes she deserves sole credit writing uh, because she took the biggest shit out of all of us. And to get sole credit, Kristen Gore has proved repeatedly throughout this process that she is full of more shit than anybody. <laughs> Starting with the first treatment she submitted to, to the committee, claiming that only she and David O. Russell authored the treatment without us. Now, to her credit, once we reminded her, she was able to recall spending weeks in a small house with us while we wrote the majority of the treatment. We don't hold any of that against her because people forget stuff like that all the time especially when they erase the names of the people they don't want to share credit with from the actual document. Wow, this is crazy that I wrote this. Uh, here's the ending. Uh, anyhow, listen, we all spent way too much time discussing who's responsible for this movie no one is going to see. We really do wish we had better careers so we could distance ourselves from Nailed 2, but the sad fact is we can't, but all we're asking of you, dear members of this committee, is take a deep whiff of this shitty movie and ask yourself this simple question. Who shit does this smell like? And then look at our credits or just reread this poorly written statement. Do that, and we believe you'll agree that Nailed stinks like us. God bless <laughs> Madden and Dave. So that was, that was our, that was our statement to try to get credit oh, on a movie please. that's a giant piece of shit. So and, we could and get it was successful. Insurance. That's and that it's a story of triumph of the human spirit because it yeah. was successful. Yeah. And you did get credit on this. I'm just going to be polite because you're in the room. Not very good movie. Here, um, and here, well, here's the, the crazy twist ending, the, the big sixth ending. I, I never watched the movie until yesterday uh, to prepare for this podcast. And uh -huh. uh, we, we didn't write this movie. <laughs> 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 we just didn't. We didn't write it. Uh, we definitely helped come up with the story, but we we had very little <laughs> to do with this movie. Well, I'm curious to hear what- We're credited we, for it. Yeah, I watched it last night for the first time. I'm curious to hear what you guys think because it seemed to me- that, you know, David O. Russell jumped off the movie before they even finished shooting it. He was sick of them not giving him enough. Whatever. I, I don't know the 
the uh, reasons. But he jumped off. He didn't want credit for the movie. Then they shot the first scene where the nail gets in her head and re and then edited it and got it out because David O. Russell was winning Oscars by then. But it seemed to me that probably David O. Russell, because he know he has a movie in his head, probably had an idea of how this movie would look. And then new people came in, finished it, and had no idea. Now, who knows what David O. Russell's version would have been like, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine this is the version he had in yeah. his head as he, as he shot those scenes. I mean, yeah. watching it, my impression was definitely that, like, yeah, that there was a movie in here and then it just got rearranged by people who are like, I don't know, like we came in, we found this footage, like like what what can we do with it? Because like it's a little bit like the the actual story of this movie of its making is the fake story of the Blair Witch Project, which is stumbling on footage that you then assemble into some kind of into yeah. some kind of releasable yeah. product. Yeah. Yeah, like it I mean it, I don't know how accurate anything online is, but it, it seemed to be that like there was all this stuff where like funding would fall through and then like they would deny more funding and, and they wanted to fire people off of it. So David, by that point, David Russell had lost interest and like there was stuff that they left off shooting, like key important stuff to the end. Kind because like they're like, Oh, movie. if we like wait to like do the nail gun accident to the end, they have to give us more money. And then there was like a strike and they couldn't do it. And which is very interesting. Like if you see the nail gun accident, it just seems like, yeah, like there might as well be like a scene missing card that mm-hmm. gets put up on the <laughs> screen at that point. Yeah, it's like the the lap dance in in Death Proof in Grindhouse where it yeah. just says real missing or was that Planet Terror? I don't remember. No, no, it's it's, it's Death, Death Proof. Proof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why don't we why don't we talk about why don't we talk about what this movie's about? We talked about that it doesn't that uh that Matt and Dave in a in a in a story of victory for all writers, I think managed to manage to rest their names back onto it. So, what is this movie that uh, called "Accidental Love Slash Nailed" mm-hmm. that they're that they're on? Well, we know as we were talking about it that it involves a woman with a nail in her head. So let's start. So the movie, for some reason, starts with the text a few years ago, and then it goes <laughs> to a CGI map of America, and we zoom into Indiana. Where we meet Alice Eckel, Jessica Beale. She's a roller skating waitress at a car. It's weird hop. that it takes place a few years ago in Indiana and it doesn't mention where I'm at since I was in Indiana. A few <laughs> oh, yeah, years yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. We that's forgot true. the old thing. So that's put that under film anytime. clubs, everybody. I guess that's true. Stuart, was, was, this a, was this an accurate representation of Indiana, what we see on screen? I mean, it felt. Uh, I actually got homesick and I started crying <laughs> because I, of all the roller skating waitresses that used exactly, to serve you when you was there. Yep, and and classic cars. I will say, so, I wonder whether the a few years ago. I mean, like that's you know, look, that's kind of a joke thing that sometimes happens where it's just like uh, the day after tomorrow when they don't want to like set it in time. But I also wonder if like by the time this movie was released, like Obamacare had come out, and yes, you know, Lord knows it's not the best healthcare system, but. The the premise of this movie, you know, is kind of <laughs> no is that longer healthcare is current. impossible to get. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I I don't know. I I wonder if that was part of it. That's that makes it. That's a very good point. That's a good point that I hadn't thought yeah, about because yeah, yeah. it does. It is a. It's just a very vague. They should have just put before Obamacare on the front. Yeah. But uh. But then so, they, uh, they. But then they go to this diner with all like these fifties cars and she's on Rosie. So you think it's well now we're not back in nineteen fifty, which is really bizarre. Yeah. But you're not. You're living. You're living in. I mean, you're, it's a sort of uh, a historical time in American history. It's kind of like you're living in a mythic version of America. Uh, she's anyway. She's great on her skates. Though she we, she does knock a guy over. It's weird. We you see a bunch of shots of her doing really great skating tricks, and then she just bumps into a guy and knocks him down. And it, it's <laughs> one of the things where you're like, so is she bad on her skates? I don't. Anyway, uh, it's you know, not it's the most setting up the important 
thing that she often gets hit in the head, which will come into play oh, right, later. right, right. So her boyfriend <laughs> is Scott. He's James Marsden. He's a state trooper, which you know because he has a mustache, and he mm-hmm. always wears his uniform. And he is planning to propose to her at the fanciest restaurant in town, the Fancy Gondola, it's called. Uh, and he got, he secured, weeks ahead, he secured the best table, the one next to the gondola, which is suspended from ropes or chains above the, fr- from mm-hmm. the ceiling. Uh, but the proposal gets interrupted by a guy using a nail gun to fix the gondola, which seems like <laughs> a weird thing to do in the middle of dinner service anyway. Um, I would recommend, as a as a bar owner, I would recommend against doing that while they're while you're in the middle of a busy service. Well, it's like but, we you know, talk- it's hard to get a contractor out, so I guess I understand. There's like, there was that movie we watched where, I forget, was it Nicolas Cage or somebody else? They had to turn off, they had to get the lights off in a place, so they stood on the toilet in the public yeah, bathroom, the and the fuse the box was on the ceiling directly above the <laughs> toilet, and you were talking about, as a bar owner, that's a poor place to, to put your fuse box. <laughs> uh, so there's a confusingly edited accident, I'll call it, and Alice ends up with a nail in her head, but... Uh, yeah, you kind of don't see it. It's all done through suggestion. It's all. It's almost <laughs> like they're making the audience complicit in the act of the nail going in. Like yes. like the way that you don't see the knife go into Janet Lee in Psycho. You don't see the nail go into <laughs> Jessica Biel's head. Uh, but it makes sense if they that they I guess they put off shooting that scene until the end, and then they didn't have money to do it, and so it's you know they just kind of you know, David some, or like, Russell sick ass practical effects of like you know like stuff squirting out of the head. Well, the, the, the <laughs> sad thing is you see it, or something. You, you know that Tom Savini, when he watched this, was like, why didn't they hire me? I would have done it. It would have been great. Blood everywhere. Yeah. You know, Three Kings had that great scene where you see the bullet go inside the body and what happens. So yeah. well, it have been. It makes you think that I wonder if he had something in mind where you mm-hmm. would see the nail go in and like go into her brain, which would yeah. – the whole yeah. movie is about that. So, but Yeah, so at the three-dimensional hosp- so go- Sonny Chiba style, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it suddenly goes to x-ray. You see the bones mm-hmm. get broken. Um, they go to the hospital – uh, where Dr. Bill Hader refuses to operate to remove the nail because Alice doesn't have insurance. And while they eat hamburgers in the operating room, they talk about how the nail is so deep in her brain that it could cause uh, personality changes and loss of inhibitions and speaking languages that she vaguely remembers from childhood. And so whenever she gets mad in the movie from now on, she just speaks Portuguese. And uh, Scott, he takes back her in- the engagement ring and gives her his lucky eagle talon, which is something <laughs> that I was expecting her to carry through the rest of the movie, and it just disappears. And I was disappointed that that was not a re- – so by this point – Well, but just, Dave- to, just to be clear, he, yeah. ta- he takes back the engagement ring because he doesn't want to be engaged to someone who has a nail in her head and who does not have health insurance. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. The nail in the head yeah. he was okay with because he thought – Oh my God! She's on her parents' health insurance, but the minute he find out, he finds out she's not on her parents' health insurance. He subtly takes off the ring because he it's can't also, be married to a yeah. burden. Her her yeah. parents, one of whom is played by Beverly D'Angelo, she yeah. could have played mm-hmm. both though. She's great. Yeah, <laughs> she could play uh, both parents. You think, <laughs> yeah, like, she could play what, both parents. So, so do you think they'd both be female characters, or would be she would be playing a man and a woman? I mean, I think she's got range, Elliot. I don't. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, don't I'd leave it out. up to her. You know. Okay. I, I mean, like, yeah, we'll see what the D'Angelo. That's wants. usually yeah. what you do in movies, right? <laughs> There, there are uh, – look, this movie, like we said, has been uh, chopped up and <laughs> put back together in a, in a Frankenstein shambling uh, monster of a, of a film. But uh, it, it does have funny bits in it, particularly because a lot of the, the actors are, are talented comic actors. And I, I liked James uh, Marsden uh, just like – constantly giving percentage chances for various things like <laughs> yeah okay it's a 60 percent chance we're still engaged uh, you know and uh there's like one point later on when one of the women's like i don't like your numbers or something that was very funny 
But, uh, James Marsden, I mean, he he's he's been the save the saving grace of a number of Flophouse movies in the past. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a really talented comic actor. Not a great Cyclops, but it's oh, a hard wow. character to do. You know, it's a hard character to do anything with. That's what, um, I mean. That kind of what makes this whole movie fascinating is like the cast is insane. It's such a great yeah. cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, even an, yeah, we. I mean, Bill Hader was in that part. Yeah, Bill Hader shows up. He's fantastic. Like, everyone yeah. Tracy, is also Tracy Morgan doing shows their up. best. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whenever uh, Tracy Morgan says anything, I, I laugh at it just because it's impossible for me not to laugh at his delivery, even if the film around it is not holding That's why they kicked the you out of that. They kicked you out of that Holocaust memorial that he was doing <laughs> because he was, <laughs> well, he was he talking about. he been in charge of that. I mean, he was trying his best to be make it somber, and you just wouldn't stop laughing. And they I mean, eventually I think the had blame's on the organizer in that case. Like, yeah, uh, I don't know about that. Maybe I mean, it was called it was called la- remembering through our laughter, which was which was a <laughs> you know, it was a bad idea for, for a Holocaust memorial. Yeah. Uh, so Alice's parents they hold a fundraiser. Uh, this is where we meet the local veterinarian Christie Alley and some of the other kooky characters in this town. There's Reverend Norm, played by Kurt Fuller who you may remember from like Ghostbusters 2 and things like that. And uh, he's a he's a minister with a constant boner because of a Viagra accident. And we meet Keyshawn, played by Tracy Morgan, who will later learn has a prolapsed anus because of a, a prolapsed rectum from a weightlifting accident. So they are also in desperate need of health care. They can't I, get these I remember I remember showing David O. Russell, have you guys seen that image online of that uh, weightlifter from the Olympics? He was squatting. I don't know if yeah. it was the Olympics. And his whole butt hole fell out of his, <laughs> yeah, like his, yeah, his little singlet ripped. And I remember showing him that, and he was so excited. And then that's what I remember looking in the script as soon as someone showed up with a prolapse rectum. I was like, Matt, we did write <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, like, wait, wait, Kristen <laughs> Gore didn't write prolapse rectum. <laughs> we showed him that picture. That's our vision. <laughs> now I, I haven't. I also like almost everybody else in the world. I haven't read the book that it's based on, but I did look up the summary, and it is about a woman trying to pass healthcare, a healthcare bill in the capital. No so way. So it does seem like yeah. The 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 main the main Silverstein Jester edition is the is the is the, <laughs> is the, is the new tone of of uh, of yeah, boners and, and I, I also rectums. looked into it. Like she's a lobbyist in the book. Like she just like she already is a creature of Washington. I I I'm glad that you explained that you did not read the script because I was like. There's not a very good synopsis of the book online, but nothing about the book seemed to sound like the movie at all. Yeah. And I mean, like at this point, I feel like the tone of the movie is fairly wacky and the a lot of the like angles, like there's a lot of close-ups and it's uh, the angles are all askew, like it's meant and the to music's be, very wacky. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like almost like I mean, Tim Burtony isn't the right thing to say, but like it feels like they're trying to like, I don't know. It felt felt to me like someone who is trying to emulate wacky comedy, but doesn't yes. know yes, how, yeah. doesn't have a good sense of humor or understand why. And I don't know if that's what was David O. Russell's original intent to be as wacky. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, it definitely came across wacky. It also came across as an incredibly horny movie <laughs> without ever reaching any moment of sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah. never seen Jake Gyllenhaal's bicep veins you see later and i'm like yeah it's a serious cut to get yeah really it's a really like a yeah it feels like a like a a a teenager's idea of sex too because like whenever there's a sex scene it's like you just see legs flinging around in the air and you hear like oh ah ah, it's like there's it's but uh Mm -hmm. we'll get to that so they don't raise enough money alice loses her alice loses her job because her mood swings is that nail uh kirstie alley tries to remove the nail with some uh home surgery and uh (laughs) it just causes her to get so violent that uh scott finally breaks up with alice now 
three weeks later. Don't know why we needed it to be three weeks later, but it is. Alice is watching TV, and she sees an ad on TV for her local congressman, Representative Howard Birdwell, Jake Gyllenhaal, who is not yet at – he's not at Okja levels of wacky Jake Gyllenhaal, but he's <laughs> he pretty gets pretty high he's up there. He's on his way. Yeah. <laughs> I, and uh, <laughs> I enjoy the, the – I mean, you know, you can tell me whether this was – intended or whether i'm reading too much into the the movie but i i do think that like there's a bit of a sly joke in the fact that later on we will see how uh jessica beale's like lack of shame uh like allows her to fit into washington like immediately and and skillfully mm-hmm. like her, her her shame her shamelessness is uh her success and jake gyllenhaal's character is shameless in sort of a like gormless like uh weak man way whereas like very clammy handed yeah yeah she is shameless to a good cause but they are a good match in part because like her injury and and subsequent like you know honestly mental illness like makes her fit right in it's kind of the being there gag i guess yeah but there is yeah the implication that to get ahead in Washington, you have to be missing the part of your brain that controls your behavior. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. This is a deep movie. That's a good point. So, uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. That was that was what we that's what we added to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's smart. So, uh, the smart so, stuff. So Representative Howard Birdwell, he got elected on a platform of providing colored glues for school kids. They need glues <laughs> in more than color, and mm-hmm. which is a funny joke. Uh, <laughs> and he asked. He says, "If you need help, contact me." So she and the Reverend and Keyshawn, they go to D.C. to get help with their health care needs. Uh, they have a brief uh, dust-up with a security guard at the Capitol building, Rakisha, who just leaves with Keyshawn immediately on a date. And I was like, oh, well, that's not going to come back. No, it does. That's his, that's a storyline throughout yeah. the movie is Keyshawn mm-hmm. and Rakisha's relationship. Um, yeah. And Birdwell's aide, he won't let Alice meet with him. Uh, Birdwell's too busy uh, meeting with House Whip Pam Hendrickson, played by Catherine Keener. Who's She's almost form- unrecognizable in this wig. Mm-hmm. I, there were times when I was like, I had to remind myself, I was like, this, she was, this is like, when she was in like being John Malkovich, she seems so cool all the time. And here she manages to be like, I guess just a Washington person, like not cool. It's a very different character for her to play. Um, mm-hmm. But she's super talented. That's what happens. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she's giving off like Allison Janney type energy in this role. Yes, yeah. Allison Janney energy, which hopefully the country will be operating off of by 2050. I'd, that's I'd that's the like, goal. That's in Biden's Build Back Better oh, program. Man. We got to replace oil with Allison Janney. <laughs> Elliot, you're living in a fool's paradise. That's not gonna like you know like that. We've got you know a few more decades of Allison Janney energy, but God willing, but, uh, lobbying for Christine Baranski energy over here. <laughs> I mean, that's also solid energy. I mean, <laughs> if only if only we could uh, we could harness all of our uh, all of our all of our uh, talented television and film actresses. Gene Smart could power Chicago. We know that. And stage. <laughs> and stage, sure. yes. And they're also stage actresses, yeah. Uh, anyway, Catherine Keener, she uh, wants to, she wants Hall support for a bill that would build a military base on the moon. And she's already gotten the support of this Girl Scout group uh, by promising that she'll get Shakira to perform at their jamboree, even though that's just <laughs> a lie. And this is, I think, where the movie kind of misunderstands comedy is that her her lead aide is Paul Rubens, and he's given very little to do in the movie. And Paul Rubens yeah. is like, he if ever, he's playing maybe the least wacky character in the entire movie, which is a strange choice when this is <laughs> yeah. literally Pee Wee Herman running around. He actually like, made me laugh really hard. He like looked at camera and narrowed his eyes a couple times. And <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was definitely his own. Hey, can I make a, uh, just a quick comment about the, uh, the moon base? 
Um, sure, sure, yeah. When we were breaking the story, he, I knew the Catherine Keener character existed, and and David uh, Russell really wanted her to be trying to pass a bill for something really evil. And he was looking for pitches, and Matt pitched, well, what if she's trying to build, like, a Death Star? And I think you were just sort of half-joking, half-serious. I know that David O'Russell was like, that's a terrible Oh, no, he, I mean, like, I literally thought he was going to throw something at me. Like, he thought it was the <laughs> worst idea he'd ever heard. And so I was like, all right, well, okay. All right, well, we'll, we'll pitch mean, up I don't know, Death Star has only been, up until that point, it's only been successful in movies. So I don't know <laughs> why. <laughs> and then when he went to, we went with him to pitch the movie uh, once we broke it out with Kristen. And it was the weirdest thing. I mean, we've been pitching, uh, you know, to varying degrees of success, but we're always as prepared as we can be. We had written half the outline for the pitch that David hadn't read when we went in to pitch the movie. So he was reading things for the first time in front of the head of Sony, you know, even to the point where he was reading it going, oh, this is pretty good. And then he would read what we had written or what Kristen had written. <laughs> and then at some point he said, and then they meet this Catherine Keener character and she's trying to uh, bill, uh, get a bill going for, what was it again, Matt? What was your pitch? And I was like, oh. The the Death Star? Like, I was so scared <laughs> to say it. And he goes, yes, the Death Star. I'm like, oh, my God. And he sort of went on with the pitch, and then eventually he was like, ah, you know, he hadn't read any of the third act that we had <laughs> tried to put together for him. And he was like, ah, they, they go to Washington, it pretty much all works out. You get it, right? And I remember thinking we were going to get, all right, well, thanks for coming in. That was weird, but they bought the movie immediately. And like, <laughs> yeah, like right, right in the room. He's like, well, that sounds like a great movie. Let's do it. I'm like, what? Where am I? How does this work? <laughs> so we assumed there'd be no Death Star. And in any of our treatments, because he was so against it, we didn't have it in. And then last night when I watched the movie the first time, it wasn't, unfortunately, the Death Star, but it was a moon base, which yeah. I'd like to think – a military uh, movie. There's pitch. not that big. There's not that big a a leap. I mean, they make it very clear in Star Wars that that's not a small moon. That's a battle station. Yeah. But <laughs> the. Uh, really? But it, but it's. I mean, it's pretty close. It's not that different. Uh. So uh. So Paul Rubens is like, hey Howard, you got to find a likable ordinary person to be at this PR event tomorrow to endorse the moon base because we need to. We've got the we've got the Girl Scouts on board. We need to make it look like ordinary Americans really want this moon base that can blow things up from space and. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal runs into Jessica Biel in the hallway, and uh, he she's like, I need your help with healthcare. And he's like, that's way too complicated. I'm a freshman representative. I can't do that. And she gets hit in the head by a passing eagle statue that someone's <laughs> carrying, and that, I guess, shifts the nail in her head enough that she becomes, she becomes suddenly uncontrollably horny. And they have such cartoonish sex in an office in the Capitol. To the, and Alice has her first ever orgasm, and she's reaching up to portraits of presidents and tearing their crotches out. Wow. <laughs> you know, in the, in the throes of this earth-shattering orgasm. It's, real, it's very cartoonish. And she's like, oh, I can't believe I did Wait, that. I blame it on the nail. That's not how you do it all the time? <laughs> I mean, the problem is my wife won't let us do it near portraits anymore because I've destroyed <laughs> yeah. so many of them. Yeah, you've been go, and just the cost to get things framed is fucking so expensive. Oh, it's so expensive. And, I, you know, and I, my hands get all cut up from grabbing the, from breaking through the glass, you know, and, so, and all that. So, you know, and, it's, and, and this was an important moment, right? Because they had set up Jessica Biel had never had an orgasm with uh, her fiance, With James Marsden, which is not Marston. likely. It, <laughs> yeah. It's hard for me to lie. Look at that yeah. mustache. Look at him. And yeah. then no, only I, I, when she has uh, this horrible affliction, this nail in her head that's, you know, tearing apart her brain uncontrollably to the point where she has sex with random people in the, in the 
I guess a hallway or a closet of, of framed pictures. <laughs> it was hard because, like, it wasn't his office and it wasn't someone else's office because uh, nobody was like, "Get out! I'm working here." It was just and the yeah, like a random room. around. So <laughs> portrait, it's just storage yeah. and portraits or? of and portraits of presidents. Which this is Congress. Like you'd think they'd be portraits of representatives, you know. But you know, what he, nobody's going to recognize Sam Rayburn's crotch. So I guess put <laughs> Bill Clinton up there. So yeah, uh, you're saying, Dave? Sorry. No, no, that was it. That finally, it was in that. A uh, special romantic circumstance, she could finally feel comfortable enough to have an orgasm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it turns out she has a very specific kink, which is it has to be in <laughs> yes. a Capitol building office with portraits in it. Otherwise, yeah, within five there. to seven minutes of being hit in the head by a 12 foot wide statue of a golden eagle. Which and someone is just super, carrying through the halls. Yeah. And with a super cut up Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, yeah, you're right. Fucking you're right. Jacked. This he is, is like ripped South in this yeah, We do see him later, and I'm like, what was he making at this point in his career? That, I like, probably he was, too. It was like right around what, Prince of Persia. Yeah. Oh, really? Then that makes sense because yeah, because he's because he is pretty jacked in Prince of Persia, right? He's got to do all that jumping in within yeah, time yeah, limits. That's like the main thing a Prince of Persia does is jump. <laughs> yeah, it's all jumping. To the video games. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's what you, the main the main responsibility is when in in ancient times when you were a prince of Persia was jumping from platform to platform. Mm-hmm. That was that was the main role. Yeah, in prep in preparing to become a sultan. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, she she's like, I can't believe I did that. It's this nail on my head. And he goes, Look, I'll put the healthcare bill as a rider on this moon base bill if you'll come speak at this PR event. This moment of crazy sex has proven to me that you are the average American that I need to to mm-hmm. get the approval of America for this. And uh, there's a scene where Alice and the Reverend and Keyshawn, they all seem to be sharing one hotel room. And uh, <laughs> all we learn in that is Keyshawn did not tell Rakesha about his prolapsed rectum. And he does, and he wants them to help him lie to her about it. It's a very, it's a very sitcom-y storyline because it's, it's literally a like- character moment, yeah. Yeah. Um, the next day, it's Wait, the Wait, can I ask event. you guys a question about that scene? I think I sure. saw what, who, who played the minister or the priest? Uh, uh, Kurt Fuller. Kurt, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. Kurt Fuller. That scene, because I looked for it a lot, was one of the only scenes you actually saw his boner. Not in yeah. uh, through his pants. So this yeah. joke where he was supposed to be running around with a boner the whole time, they never even, except for in that it. scene in this hotel room they may have been sharing, he was on the bed and you saw it sort of like subtly pushing up yeah. against the side of his pants. Yeah, it's more of oh, a radio they probably, gag. They yeah, do the love describing. Kurt is probably like, no, I take this role really seriously. I'm going to make sure that I have a real boner the whole time. And they're like, uh, don't you want to go with the prosthetic? He's like, nope. Even though I'm wearing black pants, you're going to definitely be able to tell that I have a boner the whole time. I have to admit, I was distracted during the scene where they explained what like the other main characters with medical issues, uh, their problems were. So I spent the rest of the movie kind of like piecing it together. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I was chalkboard. Like, well, he seems concerned about his penis. Do he like, do, is it like chafed in some way? Like what is it? It does happen to penises that, quite a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> this is like Robert Altman's images. You really got to pay close attention to figure out the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they so also, the I next- do like how in their hotel room, she has a X-ray of the nail in her head taped to the lamp so we will always remember that she has a nail in her head. <laughs> like you would think she wouldn't want to see that all the time, but maybe, you know. I mean, maybe it keeps hitting the part of her brain that makes her forget that there's a nail in her head. Right, you know, it's like memento. Right, yeah, yeah. Memento. <laughs> she, it's, 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 uh, it's tattooed across her, across her, her, uh, her uh, clavicles uh, in backwards. It says, you have a nail in your head. So when she yeah, looks in the mirror, yeah. it says that, yeah. So totally the next sense. day, it's the moon event. Alice, is get, Alice gives, she gives a speech that's kind of confused, but it's very passionate. She's a big hit. The moon base gets more popular thanks to her support. Everyone celebrates with a drinking party at her hotel, at the hotel <laughs> room, and everyone leaves so that uh, Jessica Biel and Jake Hall can have sex again. Uh, the, it's the next day. 
Uh, they're doing a photo op. And what's funny is that she's always she's always got her crew of people with her. Like mm-hmm. Tracy yeah. Morgan and Everywhere. Kerfler are always with her and Rikisha after a certain point. And and later on, Catherine Keener is like, can you tell her not to bring her crazy friends? <laughs> like, <laughs> like the... Uh, well, that, was, that photo- was something I remember, Matt, you and I pitched. We, originally, there was the other guy uh, who was fused to his couch, a shut-in, based on, you know, all the story. And, and so he went with them to Washington. And wherever they were, on the bus to Washington, all of a sudden in the Capitol or at the hotel room, he was still on his couch. <laughs> yeah, we would never explain, that's right, we never explained how he got there, but he would always be there, like, like you know, like Jabba the Hutt on his thing, just yeah, always yeah. there at any given space. And watching the movie, <laughs> I... I I really am upset they cut that out because that yeah. would have been amazing if it I think they shot was- it and they just cut out all the scenes of the guy on the couch. Really? <laughs> yeah. I hope that's, that's true. That's disappointing. Uh, they, so they they figured it pushed the movie a little too far. That You know what? Uh, that was too wacky. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah it was, they want to keep the more serious tone. Yeah, yeah. This is about politics. Uh, so they're doing a photo op in the house office of House Speaker Buck McCoy, who's played by James Brolin. And now James Brolin's taking credit for the moon base bill, which annoys Keener. And Alice learns, oh, the health. Did you say it was originally supposed to be James Kahn? It was originally supposed to be James Kahn. And apparently, according to Wikipedia, there was a creative disagreement about his death scene. And I think it was probably the fact that James Brolin uh, is starts choking on a piece of a cookie, and Kurt Fuller tries to give him a Heimlich. And this is the, one of the few times we see his boner. Is the joke is that his boner keeps jabbing him, keeps jabbing James Brolin in the butt while he's giving the Heimlich. My guess is James Kahn didn't want to do that scene. Yeah. That's what? my guess. <laughs> so they're like, "Get me another James." We need a James. <laughs> we, uh, the, we already started making the credits. We wrote the James part, but we didn't write the Kahn part. So what, and the who Catherine else do we have? Keener, backspace. Catherine Keener <laughs> unplugging it was just so. Awkward and weird, and I know that well, was. Well, so yeah, so he's he's choking, he's and they choking. try to defibrillate him. And Catherine Keener now she's <laughs> mad that he's taking credit, so she knocks the plug of the defibrillator out, and right. he dies. But it's also like right. at that point he's dying, he's choking. So the defibrillator is not the thing to go to. I guess <laughs> yeah, it's hard to stop, the, but you, you got to remove the obstruction in his trachea. That's that's what's going <laughs> to save him. You know that didn't. Yeah, Paul Rubin's character, you know, is is you know does his angry squint some more at Catherine Keener and. And like this is the moment where he totally loses faith with her, as we see later on in the. In well, because she did murder switches, the speaker of the house. Side. Yeah. Well, but he, but she, but he, but she didn't though. That's the thing. Like it's like um, they are trying I don't to. Know. They are trying to zap a man who is choking out of choking. Like so, you're suggesting that she did it because she knew it was the wrong is treatment. Not, is not you're saying gonna, she actually like, almost saved him. By, I'm by just saying it has no basis on it one way or the other. It, it so did you're seem saying, like it did seem like they wanted. All right, we need the joke of him getting poked in the ass by the guy with a hard on, but we yeah. also want Catherine Keener to unplug the paddles. Yeah. Exactly. Th- those two things, he can't have the same issue. No, no, no. no. We need both of those. <laughs> we need both. The movie doesn't work without both. And Dan is having an issue with the medical factuality of the movie the where a woman logic. has a nail in her head that causes her to become a nymphomaniac. Yes. Uh, so at the end, also the, the Girl Scouts learned that Shakira was never going to come to their rally. That happens yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the, it's the next, it's, there, it's the speaker's funeral. Of course, Alice and all her friends are there. How they got invited to what is a fairly sparsely attended funeral for the speaker of the house of representatives, <laughs> yeah. the third, third in line for the presidency. Um, uh, Scott sees her on TV and he's instantly into her again. 
Uh, and Paul Rubens is like, I know you unplugged that defibrillator. And Catherine Keener is like, don't ruin this day for me. And he just kind of drops it. And uh, Alice is mad at Howard for lying to her about putting the healthcare rider on the bill. She finds out that was never going to happen. And he says, look, something dramatic would have to happen to save that healthcare bill. So she gives up. She says, how's this for dramatic? And she gives a big impromptu eulogy where she says that she heard the speaker's dying words and that his dying words were to support the healthcare bill and were against the moon base. And his widow, the speaker's widow, loves it. And everyone applauds. And Catherine <laughs> is so pissed. Now her moon base is in the balance because of this, <laughs> this young upstart. And Howard is like, I'm so amazed that you did that. Uh, I love you. I think I love you. And she's like, I think I love you too. And he goes, I'm too scared to face Catherine Keener though. And he jumps out a window and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> and so Alice, she decides to form an alliance with the Girl Scouts. Now they're selling cookies to support the healthcare bill. And Catherine Keener retaliates with an anonymous smear accusing the the Girl Scouts are promoting child lesbianism, which seemed like a real low point for the movie and for the characters. Yeah, yeah it was a strange moment, but, you know. Yeah. I, I It happened. We have to <laughs> look, report true. the right. news we, as it occurs. We you can't know? cover up with, look, future generations <laughs> need to know about the sins of accidental love. You know, they can't, we, we can't whitewash this anymore, you know. Uh, we've, we've, we've had to, we have to show them that our gods do have feet of clay, you know, in this case. Uh, and, uh, they have a big, uh, squaw girls, girl scout jamboree. Scott shows up to win Alice back. Uh, and he's like, actually the ha Catherine Keener put me up to it. Uh, but I'll prove myself to you by finding Howard representative Birdwell. So he can introduce that healthcare bill. And he finds Howard Birdwell at a kind of, uh, masculinity retreat. Yeah. Where like an iron John sort of, uh, like this was a thing that like, I don't feel like this was like, contemporary really at the time that this movie was made. Like, no, I remember this being like No, was more of an 80s thing, I feel thing, like. Yeah, growing up. And Audrey, while you were with me, was like, why is he at this thing? I'm like, uh, you know, it's one of those masculinity retreats. And <laughs> she's like, that's a thing that happened? Well, because mm -hmm. growing up, also in today's world, when you're worried about losing your masculinity, you don't go to a retreat where you go around a fire and a loincloth and rest of people. You get yeah. really into conspiracies and you try to overthrow the government. Like that's what you yeah. do when you're worried about your masculinity now. So you go, or you go to a, or you, like you go to a town that's having, uh, that's having, uh, Civil, uh, civil uprisings, and you try to shoot people. That's what you do now. So, mm -hmm. I th so I can see why Audrey was confused about it. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Howard, that was Howard, Howard bumming moment. us all out. That's great. Yeah, no problem. Hey, did I bum everybody out? Sorry about that. Let's <laughs> go back to this movie. Fine. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it helped. Does world. it help? Does it help to mention again that Jake Gyllenhaal is completely ripped? Like he's huge. I mean, yeah, this is where you and like oiled up, baby. Like good. hell yeah. Price Look. of admission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, He's like, I can't go until I finish uh, ritual fire combat with four more people and prove that I'm a man. And James Parsons like, well, why don't you just leave and say that you're a man? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. What did he take off of the table? So it's a it's a trophy. That he's like, I can't go unless I earn this trophy. And it's only later after he takes it that it's revealed that it's like moose testicles that he has yeah, to earn. Yeah, I guess but if, So first like it that. just looks like he's grabbing like a bunch of, like a couple of rotten crab apples off, yeah. of a, off a table. Yeah, it looked like know. baked apples to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, baked apples. I thought yeah. they were prunes, so this makes sense now. Yeah, that would have been weird if it, you said prunes? Yeah, a couple I prunes. I mean, hey, helps you pass. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, at this point, at this point, James Marsden's acting because he is trying to win Alice back. And like, you don't kind of know where any of the characters are. Like, the, the romance balance is kind of weird because it, I mean, it, like, it's called Accidental Love. I went into it assuming it was going to be some kind of a romantic comedy, and I feel like that's kind of how they pitched the movie at this point because the political stuff didn't quite match anymore. I mean, we literally have the guys here who pitched the movie. Did you pitch the movie at all as a romantic comedy? Yeah. God, I don't know how, what it was pitched as. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, how, how was this pitch, Dave? It was just sort of like it was, it, it was supposed to be. A, it was a romantic comedy. A young uh, ingenue goes to Hollywood uh-huh. to change the world, and on her way deals with uh, all sorts of love and romance that she's not but ready I, to handle. I agree with you, Stuart. It's hard to sort of see where you're supposed to come out here because neither of the men are particularly good choices in terms of who they are. James Marsden wants to like abandon her, assume that she seems like she might have health issues. And Jake Gyllenhaal is this sort of like callow uh, opportunist. And and, and it it really is one of these situations where you're like, are these the only two men in the world? And meanwhile, you know, she's only kind of shown to be into Jake Gyllenhaal, at least at first, because, she has a nail in her head. So <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the best the best partner available seems to be Tracy Morgan. All he did was lie about yeah. a medical pro- a disability that he uh, you know is very embarrassed about. Otherwise, he seems like a real stand up guy who's supportive. Immediately of committing. No, he's yeah. very ni- he seems like very yeah, he nice. Meets, man. He meets Rakisha instantly, and it's not a pleasant meeting. Like she's mad at them because they tried to bring a nail gun into Congress, and True. he instantly is supportive of her and is just like and never leaves her side. And they're together yeah. for the rest you, of the movie. Yeah. When they when they head off in that. First first scene and and they're like where, where are you going where we just got here what about our whole and he's like oh this is how it works in the, in the black community it happens really quick we take off i was like wait what 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 joke are they referencing or yes I mean, yeah that's a, i feel strange. like that's a stereotype that doesn't exist but they're they're kind of <laughs> willing it into existence like you know you know how it is with us egyptians we love the circus really is that, is that true as you know, here in Japan, we're all about collecting hats. Is that, is that, is that something that people say about the Japanese? <laughs> anyway, uh, Howard shows up. He says, he announces that this big ja- – Alice is about to tell the uh, Squaw Girl Girl Scouts. Which I, I feel like the movie has a number of sins, but for some reason, the like obviously they couldn't say Girl Scouts. Yes. Changing it to Girl Squaws felt – uh, I mean, obviously it's the time and like, but it felt extra tone deaf with, a, I don't know. I yeah, guess it's it probably because I'm watching it now in I, 2000. Uh, I mean, look, I don't, I'm not going to mount a spirited defense of that, but I think it probably was intended as like satirical in the way that like, you know, Boy Scout organizations, you know, like, I feel like there is an element of in the past of like stealing. Uh, well, the, yeah, you there's know, an element like of, kinda... and like in summer camps, and then like exactly. kid organizations in summer camps, outdoors stuff. There's a real history of appropriating the idea yeah, of yeah, yeah. indigenous but, Americans, and like yeah. But the but version they, of the movie that we see does not make that uh, doesn't make it that clear. I guess. Yeah, doesn't yeah. really make it a, a joke. And I can only blame the screenwriters in this case. You know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. You know, that's just how it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Alice is like, we should just give up. This is never going to happen. When Scott returns with Howard, and Howard says, "I'm going to quit my party and introduce the healthcare bill," and he kisses Alice, which really angers Scott. And they very briefly fight. And then Alice is like, "I'm sorry that I used you to bring Howard back. We use each other now. Like we're we're Washington people." And Scott walks out as the Girl Scouts all argue over. Which suitor is cuter? They're like, I like <laughs> Howard. Well, I like Scott. And it's like they're both very handsome men. Like I get it. <laughs> they're both, you know, it's the. Uh, it's the next day. Okay, we're getting we're in the the home stretch of the movie. Congress has come into session under temporary speaker Catherine Keener. She's going to be voted on. She keeps saying, "Remember tomorrow when you vote on the new speaker, how uh, how good I was." And it's like, "So what?" But is this it, they keep acting as if it's like the first day of the congressional session, which it just it's not clear. It's not clear where this is in the congressional calendar and why they couldn't just vote today on who the new speaker is. It seems like that would be the most important thing to to do right off the bat. Um but the she, uh, Howard gets up and he proposes the health care bill. 
And that's when Catherine Keener drops the hammer. She presents evidence in the form of women that Howard had previously promised bills, introduced bills that lobbyists had given him in exchange for sex. And she says, this must be the same scenario. And uh, there's multiple shots as the women are walking up. It seems unnecessary of congressmen like leering at the women and being like, ooh, yeah. Like it seems <laughs> yeah. it's so totally – it's almost like the movie was like we've got to show that congressmen would find these women sexy or else this this plot point doesn't work. So we got to have them all just be like biting their knuckles and just going I, like, whew, you know. I do like I do like the the, the shots of Jake Gyllenhaal like trying to make himself smaller and weasel out of it like he's <laughs> Roman Roy or something. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the – yeah. It's an odd moment too because like I feel at this at this juncture we're supposed to kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal a bit more and 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 I kept expecting like the movie just presents this genuinely like gross behavior on his part and then just kind of leaves it. Well, well cuz here we're seeing we're seeing the behavior of the old Jake Gyllenhaal before he yeah, found I love so. with Alice. I think it's what it's yeah. supposed to be. And uh you know they're they're reminding us that he used to be a cad and now he's a catch. Uh, from yeah. Cad to Catch, that's my new my new romance <laughs> novel. <Can we> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it's all, and there's and, and then the sequel Cad Catchers. Uh, <laughs> but it's actually about the uh, program CAD. It's not. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a computer thing. And of course, the sequel Cod Catchers is just about how hard it is to be a fisherman these days when the oceans are depleted. So again, uh, I don't mean to yeah. bum us out, but damn those you, books. P- damn you, Poseidon! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I. If only Odysseus hadn't pissed him off, we'd have plenty yeah. of fish to eat. But yeah, it, it goes shit. back that far. Uh, so in ex- and so everyone's like boo boo, but then they're like, let Alice speak, give her a chance to speak. Like it's the the, the congressman really acts just like a local town hall meeting anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alice gives a speech, uh, and then Fake passes out for drama, and Congress is like, yeah yeah, let's vote on her health care bill. She gives this big rousing speech for it, and they vote, and it fails by a landslide, and then Alice faints for real. And Catherine Dieter did have a line here that I liked. She goes, healthcare fails, just like always. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> but uh, this is also, this is the low point for everybody. Rakesha learns that Keyshawn lied to her, that Keyshawn lied to her about his, his prolapsed rectum. And, that, <laughs> and it really offends her that that's why he won't let her near her, his butt. And yeah. she dumps him. Uh, and Reverend Norm <laughs> and is she like. Guesses, she guesses what's happening with him with a, with a you know, like real perception. <laughs> She's yeah. like immediately like. Oh, do you have one of those baboon asses? <laughs> <laughs> and, Somebody uh, must Reverend have shown Norm, her that video. Yeah. Yeah. Reverend Norm loses his faith in God, and uh, they see Howard shaking hands with Paul Rubens. Oh, no. And he gives a speech recanting his support for Alice. He reaffirms his support for the moon base bill, and he's introducing a new bill to rename the house gym after Speaker McCoy, James Rowland's character, and Alice is disgusted, and she leaves. And they're back at the motel, and she's packing up. And then she hears on the TV, the news announces that the bill to rename the house gym just passed and it included a rider for healthcare for people with very specific catastrophic consequences, <laughs> it, it, which include her and all of her friends. And the anchor goes, so I guess everybody else is still on their own, <laughs> which is a <laughs> funny joke. And uh, the, it turns out nobody read the bill that Howard submitted except for Paul Rubens, who didn't tell Catherine Keener about it because that's what they were really shaking hands on. And we see Paul Rubens kind of like, hee, hee, hee like run by in the background as she's being interviewed, which is, it's like, just let Pee-wee be Pee-wee. You know, he's, every every glimpse we get of it. And uh, she's like, the moon base passed, but uh, it doesn't matter anymore. And uh, Howard's scheduled for what they call a rare triple censure, but he says on TV it was all worth it uh, to help Alice, who he loves. And Alice starts kissing his face on the TV, which, which I thought was, was, was a pretty funny bit where she's like trying to French kiss the television screen. Um <laughs> 
but uh, they find out he's he's broadcasting from the parking lot of their motel, and so she runs out and kisses him, and all all is well. We cut to a wedding for a congressional candidate. Uh, is Howard running again? Uh, is Alice running? No, are they getting married? No. It's the marriage of Keyshawn and Rakisha, and Keyshawn is running for Congress, something he never seemed interested in until this mm-hmm. moment when we yeah. see that he's got a campaign button on him. And uh, they get married, and everyone dances through the credits, and it goes on for such a long time. We see so much dancing from them. Halfway through the credits, there's a scene where Alice gets up to give a toast and then a champagne cork hits her in the eye. And then and then that scene is over. We never hear what yeah. she was going to say. Mm-hmm. And then we get some bloopers, mostly Jake Gyllenhaal's, and you're like, okay, we saw them dancing. There was a mid credit scene pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think. Yeah. And then we had bloopers. The movie must be over. No, there's more dancing. We see them dancing for a long time. And she... and. Jessica Biel has a bandage over her eye, so this is clearly in continuity. It's supposed to be after the scene we saw. So it's and I have to yeah. admit, I have to admit, like watching them dance was probably the most fun I had watching the movie. Like they yeah. they really seem to be into dancing and having a good time for the first time. Well, that was so, that was the thing about the ending. So, like I'm like, oh wait a minute, I think I had fun watching this because they're all yeah. dancing. It really, yeah, yeah. you're like, wait a minute, this was they're tricking me at the end into thinking I actually yeah, had a good time watching this. Now, yeah. And it's like, and usually I don't like. Usually I don't like credits where the cast is dancing. At the end of Barb and Star Go to Casa Omar, they started kind of all dancing during the credits and I turned off the TV oh, immediately and said, nope. And my wife was like, I wanted to see that. Turn it back <laughs> on. <laughs> but with this, they really... <sighs> I don't. Know. So, did you yeah, guys write the dancing mad. part? He's like, these aren't bloopers. I don't want to watch this. Fucking well, every shit. movie I check, every movie we finish, I check and see if there's bloops. I'm like, yeah, the, yeah, the card counter. Where are the bloops? I want to see. Uh-huh. I want to see the times he counted the cards wrong. Uh, card so, counter. The movie right. where halfway well, through I deposit and Google card counter Oscar Isaac sunglasses to find that they're only like two hundred and fifty dollars. I could get those sunglasses. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and so, uh, guys, did you write the part where the with the dancing? Was that in the original treatment? We, they we danced wrote, for like <laughs> ten minutes. I think we wrote the bloopers, but no, not the not the dancing. <laughs> okay. I, was, well, I don't think we wrote any. We didn't really, truly didn't write any of this. <laughs> and so that was the greatest revelation. Watching this, like, oh my gosh, we fought for credit, got it, didn't deserve it, and, and really don't want it. Yeah, <laughs> I think you deserved that story by story credit of, if you had gotten it. That would yeah, make sense. How did it feel when you realized that it was less of what you wrote? Was it like, oh, thank God? Or was it like, oh, my God, all my gold? Boy, uh, I, I think I, I, I felt, well, yeah, like well, on one hand relieved. Like, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not responsible for any of this, this garbage. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I, I felt real stupid for fighting for any kind of credit. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you didn't fight that hard. No, you really I didn't. Put it off I, to the I last actually minute. tried to. It was more about being funny with the way we were fighting for it. That was what was more fun <laughs> about it. I think we yeah. heard about it for so long, and I was always fascinated, but not enough to actually watch the movie. And in the way back of my head, I thought we would watch something fantastically weird. You know, because you, you, I heard about the cast, and I heard the stories you guys heard where they held off shooting the gondola scene till the very end. And David O. Russell, there's something, even in stuff I don't like of his, it's amazing and weird. But when you watch it and it all adds up to, I guess Elliot put it best, watching them dance at the end was the most fun (laughs) part of the movie. It didn't add up to anything outside of, you know, just not a good movie. Well, it makes you, it makes you really wonder. It's like, it's one of those movies kind of like, um, Mike Nichols making Day of the Dolphin, where you're like, why was this the movie that this person was making? I mean, in that case, it was a contractual obligation that he had to make a movie, so he decided to make a movie about talking dolphins trying to assassinate the president. But uh, the the you kind of you wonder, kind of like, what is it? Did David O. Russell just feel like he needed maybe like a more mainstream movie after I Heart Huckabees to get back or something like that, or is he just a guy who 
pinballs from one thing to another or what, what did he want to do with it? You know? you know, he was very passionate about this and he had to be because they kept trying to shoot this, uh, shut the shoot down and he kept fighting and fighting. And I mean, this was not an easy movie for him to get made. So it really was like a passion project for him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I, I don't understand where, <laughs> I don't understand why, but it certainly was. Um, well, we Sorry, did have one, wanted, I was say, we had one moment that I forgot one other fun story where we were where we were in the development of it and we were talking to the producers with David and the script was terrible at that point and the producers weren't happy with it and then David sort of got kind of quiet on the notes phone call and they're like what's the matter David he goes yeah I don't know you guys aren't making this fun for me anymore and when things aren't fun sometimes I just I kind of just walk away and then all the producers were like oh no no, David, we love it. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that really worked. And it saved the movie. So I don't know how. Wow. Oh, man. Maybe. He seems he seems like a, a volatile human being. That's some toxic shit there, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well I, I know that uh, at least one half of our special guests has to leave for a family obligation. So, uh, you know, this is probably a good time to... Do final judgments. Do final judgments and wrap up this part, and then uh, you can go. But uh, final judgments, of course, where we say whether the movie was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or movie you kind of like. Uh, guys, I got to say, this may be controversial. I what? kind of enjoyed watching this. I know that it's not good. It I is wish like, the listeners could see my face right now. Could see the expression so, of of just wow. like ooh. It is so it is so chopped to pieces. Like it is clearly looking around Dan's apartment like he lives like this. I mean, let me <laughs> let me give my reasons. Like it is it is chopped to pieces. It is a hobbled movie, but I can squint and see the movie that was trying to be made. I can see that there was a talented filmmaker with some ideas behind it. Like you don't see a big budget Hollywood movie with stars that is about like political issues very frequently. Uh, Only when Adam McKay's making them. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, like I, the parts that like kind of like still make it through, I enjoyed even though, you know, it's only interesting really as a curio of something that like could have been something and isn't, but I still, I still kind of got a kick out of it. But what do you guys have to say? Uh, you know, it, it, often that I kind of thought like when I was watching it, it did feel like a student film that had potential. Like you're like, all right, this is not a good film, yeah. but some of the people behind it, oh wow, they're going to go on to do great things. Not me yeah. and Dave, but the other people <laughs> who were involved. Uh, so yeah. So I, we've got uh, one. Yeah. Bad, that's bad, good, and Matt. What do you say? No, well, no. Yours is like kind of liked it, right? My, mine's I, bad, I, bad. I kind of liked it a little bit. My, mine's a bad, bad until the dancing at the end. I'm like, oh wait a minute, no, it's good. <laughs> but <laughs> no, bad, 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 bad. I think I'm gonna go with bad, bad or bad, boring, which is the oh, worst. Oh wow, kind that's of the bad. worst. That's yeah. the worst kind. <clears throat> I would say, like, I feel like the first half was bad, bad, but it was interesting. Uh, you know, there's something special about a comedy that is made, uh, wrong, uh, by somebody <laughs> like David O. Russell, who doesn't seem to understand, uh, or whoever else took over who doesn't seem to understand, uh, like, you know, comedy, um, despite having a lot of talented comedian, uh, comedians involved. Uh, but then I guess it got kind of bogged down and I lost interest. 
until the dancing, of course, and then I was back mm-hmm. in. So bad, bad yep. baby. Yeah, I'm gonna say bad, bad. I I agree that it's it feel. I think I would I would be more uh, I would be more merciful towards it if it was a student film. Like it feels like a, an unfinished student film, but it's un, it's not a unfinished student film. It's a it's very much a, a a movie that was made by professionals and. There's just like I think it kind of gets less and less interesting the more it gets into politics and Washington and things like that. And there's a I mean, if the movie can't pull off someone not wanting to get the Heimlich because they keep getting poked with a boner, then then I don't know what are they, <laughs> they what are they, what are they doing? Why 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 are we even here? They, it's it's like a it's it feels like a um, yeah it's just it kind of doesn't know it doesn't know how to tell the jokes that it's that it's trying to tell and it does feel like a movie that was not finished. Like, it looks really weird. It looks like it wasn't, it wasn't finished. Like, it wasn't color-corrected or anything like that. But it's, uh, so I'm going to say bad, bad. But I'm going to say good, good to our guests. And yeah, their, yeah. Say, yeah. I'm not, not the movie. It's like you but, just you know, dance. Like, it's, you are the dancing at the end of and, the movie. And now this is that. the dance. Yeah, now it's the dancing part. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's rare when you watch a movie and the, and the best part of it is the cast just, just having a ball afterwards at what I assume probably doubled as the rap party because yes. they, because the funding <laughs> was so low, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys. You see them dancing. Sorry, go on. I you see them dancing together, and their show, and like Jessica Biel and and Jake Gyllenhaal show chemistry dancing together that they don't show throughout the rest of the movie. Like you're, yeah. and like James Mars and the rest of them. Like it's like, oh, they really seem to like each other when they're when they're just dancing when they're not playing the characters, you know. But Matt, what were you gonna say? No, yeah, it does. It feels like an ensemble of like like friends, and you feel like, well, this is a great party. This is gonna be a fun time, and uh, but it's not. It's 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 terrible. Um, but I'm glad you guys uh, made me watch it. That was really, and and now I got to figure I actually, out my feelings. I, dis, that's, I disagree with you on, on that one, Matt. <laughs> I'm happy well, to do this podcast. I'm happy to stay on for as long as you want. I'm very annoyed therapy. at the time I wasted. <laughs> Welcome wow. to our lives, that's Dave. 14 that's years our, of my life. Yeah, that's our life. There's, there are times when I look at, I keep a list each year of the movies I watch that year, and the times I look at the list and I'm like, Oh, like why? Why did I? Why did I spend so much of my life watching I'm garbage? I'm sorry that the money and personal fame isn't enough for me for you, Elliot. Wow. I'm just saying it's a high. I price just remember. To pay. I'm like I. I yeah. remember thinking to myself. I texted you, Matt. I'm like I could be in bed right now scrolling through nonsense on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Instead, I'm watching this movie I fought credit for that I thought would be interesting. there. I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just got to share. On Just the Zoo of Us, your new favorite animal review podcast, we're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. 
And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. (laughs) Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Hey, everybody. I've got some exciting news for you now that we're done talking about Accidental Love, a.k.a. Nailed. That exciting news is, that's right, the Flophouse is coming back live again on your computer screens, just like last year. But again, it's been a while. You haven't seen us in a few months. So it's time for us to (laughs) show our pretty faces to you and remind you that we are aging. Somewhat. Uh, uh, we're going to be yeah, doing. Yeah, you get to see Elliot's garage again. <laughs> you get, you yeah. get to see my garage again and my big bulletin board uh, with new things on it. Hopefully, and not the same Super Mario Brothers page that's still up there on the bulletin board. Uh, we're going to be doing a live show online, not in person, but online. Saturday, March nineteenth at nine p.m. Eastern, six p.m. Pacific. Uh, we're going to be talking about. I'm very excited about this one, Masters of the Universe. That's right, the He-Man movie with such big stars as Dolph Lundgren, Courtney Cox, and Billy Barty, and Frank Langella. I should, I, should, I was so excited about Billy Barty that I mentioned him before, Frank Langella. But uh, <laughs> this is a movie that I have not seen since I was a kid. Uh, I have very few memories of it, except that at one point they eat chicken, and I'm very excited to <laughs> see it with these guys again. So, is that the origin of your chicken love in a, like, a, a Last Crusade sort of uh, way? Like, all in one day, you know, you, like, fell into a, a, a vat of, chicken. I don't know, chicken and watched Masters of the Universe. Uh, Masters of the Universe was and, screening somehow inside a vat of chicken. I guess they, they yeah. use it to keep the <laughs> yeah. chickens sedated. And you were gonna you're gonna <laughs> yeah. drown in the chicken and then Spider-Man saved you. What are other things Elliot likes? I don't uh, know. you saw a dinosaur. Yes, uh, a yeah. dinosaur, yeah. And, <laughs> and then and, you and, went yeah, to an old movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It all happened that one day. It was a big day. Let me check my diaries. Yep, it all checks out. So that's <laughs> Saturday, March nineteenth at six PM. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, or rather 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We're going to be talking about Masters of the Universe. It's one of our live shows. We're going to have PowerPoint presentations we do at the beginning that are exclusive to this show. We'll never do them again. We're going to have a live question and answer afterwards where you can uh, write your questions into the chat box or whatever, and we'll read it. We'll try to have some audience polls in the middle of it. Lots of fun stuff. We'll get you involved. You make the call. You be on the show somewhat. And as always with these shows, uh, if you can't make it to that date, If you buy a ticket, you'll have access to a recording of the live show for a week afterwards. So let's say you live in a part of the world where Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern is not the easiest time for you to get on your computer and start watching something. Don't worry. Get a ticket. It's only $10, and you'll get a week's worth of access to the recording, so you still get to watch it. So that's Saturday, March 19th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. The Flophouse is going head-on into elder millennial nostalgia with Masters of the Universe, the movie, uh, and it's only $10. You want to buy a ticket? I know you do. Go to theflophouse.simpletix.com. That's simple, T-I-X, theflophouse.simpletix.com, or also tinyurl.com slash flophouselive. Those are the two links. Go to them and buy a ticket. Why not? It's going to be fun. We'll be there. Why not? Yeah, why not? Why G- give not? me one reason why not. Exactly. Why I not? couldn't hear. There was, there's none. So we'll be there. I hope <laughs> you will be too. Saturday, March 19th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6% Pacific. But you will have access to the recording for a week afterwards. Thank you. Uh, we got um, some sponsors. The Flophouse is overwhelmingly kept in business by the contributions of listeners like you. Like but you. we have some lovely advertisers, including Stitch Fix. Your style isn't one size fits all. 
It's about what suits your body and what suits the moment. So why not shop at a store that is personalized to your size and style? Stitch Fix Freestyle is your trusted style destination where you can discover and instantly buy curated items based on your style, likes, and lifestyle. Whether you're looking for a brand you love or to try a new one at Stitch Fix Freestyle, you can shop over a thousand brands and styles personalized to your size and fit. Plus, there's no subscription required, and they offer free shipping, returns, and exchanges. You know, I used Stitch Fix Freestyle. They, the, the shirt I'm wearing oh, is actually a Stitch Fix Oh, I was going to say, I like thing. it. Like, look, I was going to mention it looks really nice, your shirt. Yeah, yeah, you know, we can't all be a Stuart Wellington who used the pandemic to uh, get more into shape. In my personal experience, I got less in shape and I needed some new clothes to fit, to fit my new body and Stitch <laughs> Fix Freestyle really helped me out on that. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I also needed new clothes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I needed yeah, nice Stuart also had a new body. All my shirts got That's ripped true. off. That's true. Stuart's new hotter way. body. Yeah, because, because what you, you, your muscles were just busting through the seams. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. was the stitch well, that needed kept fixing. Blowing the crotch out of all my pants. <laughs> <laughs> It's because that lady uh, popped the button off of it with her stiletto heel. Uh, But anyway, let's get started uh, with Stitch Fix today by filling out your style quiz at stitchfix.com slash flophouse. That's stitchfix.com slash flophouse to try Stitch Fix Freestyle. Stitchfix.com slash flophouse. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on this show because they sponsor us. And uh, let's talk about some of the stigmas around mental health. A lot of people think that it is something that you only need when you are falling apart. You should wait till life is just completely unbearable and you are bursting at the seams like Stuart's clothes. But that's not true. The (laughs) therapy is a tool that you can use anytime in your life. You can use it before things get worse. I call it preventative maintenance. That's what they call it in the military. Uh, And it can help you avoid getting to the place where you feel like you're unbalanced and things are falling apart. I'm a big believer in therapy. I've used it a lot myself. Uh, It's a special time for me to focus on myself and have someone else there to bounce ideas about myself off of or just to listen to me. Because growing up – or because – Growing up in a house full of Jewish people, I was not listened to often because everyone was always talking all the time. And now as the parent of two young boys, I am also not listened to ever at all (laughs) by anybody. Uh, Anytime I try to read a historical plaque to them, they just walk away. They will not listen. (laughs) So – Try it out. BetterHelp might could be your. Is that what you do in your therapy sessions? You read your I've, therapist yeah. a bunch of historical I've, plaques. I've taken pictures of the historical plaques my children would listen to, and I just read them to him. And he goes, "Oh, interesting." Uh, so therapy, it's a useful thing for whatever you need it to. Either whether you're just tuning yourself up, whether you need space to talk out just the things you need to talk out to get out the emotions that you don't have an outlet for, or just to spend time focusing on yourself, which is valuable to all of us. We're living in the end times of civilization. Uh, things are mm-hmm. rough. Why not take some time for yourself? Maybe BetterHelp is your way to do that. It's a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, or even live chat sessions with therapists if you don't want to be on camera, uh, which I know I sometimes feel like. Uh, It can be more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Try it out. The person they match it to the first time might not be the right person, so you might try it out again. That's the thing with therapy. Sometimes it takes time to find the right therapist relationship, but when you do, it can be really, really rewarding and something that just helps you – when you need the help, 
Uh, give it a try. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. And because this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, Flophouse listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp. With at, uh, Go to betterhelp.com slash flop. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash F-L-O-P uh, for 10% off your first month. Try it out. See if this is the way that therapy is right for you. And maybe it'll help you to get to a place where you are finally saying, hey, I don't mind that we're in the end stages of civilization anymore because I'm doing okay. And what's that? It looks like we have a Jumbotron. And this message is for Clara. And the message is from Derek. You're a real Bobby Dazzler. And I can't think of anyone else to flee a foreign country before their borders close with than you. I'll never kick you out of bed for eating crackers, no matter how much bedroom honey and crumbs you get on the sheets. You want to wistfully look at me through a window and be my top pocket find in matrimony forever? Uh, was that a proposal? I d- it might have been a proposal. It I been. hope that I I hope that I did it right then. Cause, yeah, uh, yeah, you gotta write in and let us know how that went. There's a <laughs> right uh, in Clara and let, or a Clara out Clara, there. With Clara, a, man, there's yeah, there's the Derek, a real minefield. Right uh, into so Stuart Wellington ruined my relationship. Care of the Flophouse, if that's what uh-huh. happened, mm-hmm. or, uh-huh. or right into Stuart Wellington made my dreams come true. Care of the Flophouse, if and that's if what you happened. want. If you want Stuart to make your dreams come true, uh, oh, wow! <laughs> you, sign <laughs> oh, up for my jumbo, premium. Yeah, that- you can get up on the jumbotron <laughs> by going to maximumfun.org/jumbotron, where you can get a personal message for a hundred dollars or a promotional one for two hundred dollars. Dreams coming true via Stuart, uh, not guaranteed. Uh, but Stuart and Elliot, do you have anything you want to plug before we get back to the meat of the show? I have a couple of bars, Hinterlands Bar and Minis Bar. You should go support them and check them out if you are comfortable going out in New York City, that is. And uh, my new series of Maniac of New York comics is on store shelves now. So that's Maniac of New York from Aftershock Comics. Ask for it by name. If your comic local comic store doesn't have it, ask them to order it for you. Maniac of New York from Aftershock Comics. Okay, well, now uh, let's roll right into letters from listeners. Um, like you. Like you. Sometimes Me? But I'm not, I mean, I'm listening right now, but I'm not a, I'm one of the co-hosts. I'm not a listener. Yeah, but, you. But you could still we, write a letter if you really wanted to. You if could. You know, I didn't want your voice to be fucking heard. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe, yeah, this is, my ch- this is my chance to finally express my opinion on the show. Yeah. Dear Dan and Stuart, hey, uh-huh. it's Elliot, your friend. How are things <laughs> oh, going? No. So I've got some bad okay. news. Maybe I should uh-huh. tell you later. Uh, okay, this doesn't probably. seem like the best time. So no, expect sure. another letter still, from me oh, okay. th- where that's more on topic. <laughs> now I'm going to be worried about that bad news. I do have a question. What's your favorite thing about working with Elliot? I hope it's something good. <laughs> love <laughs> love the show. Keep on flopping. Love, Elliot. You yeah, know yeah. what? My favorite thing about working with Elliot is I know that if I find myself at a loss for words, which does happen frequently, uh-huh. yeah. uh, I can count on Elliot to plug that hole in the sinking ship. <laughs> oh, wait. That's technically like a good thing. Yeah, we, wait, we got another letter, it looks like. Uh, Dear Dan, hey, it's Elliot again. <laughs> uh-huh. I heard what you said, and the, while it was phrased as a compliment, it was kind of a dig. 
I don't know True. that I really appreciate you're you're talking about me that way. I mean, it makes sense because I've spent many years just, insulting you on the podcast, so. but it still seems a little bit like a, you. It was kind of a backhanded was, compliment. No, was I reading? That, was I reading too much? Wait, the letter is not okay. over, Dan. Was <laughs> okay. I reading too? Mu- was I reading too much into it? Again, let's make those plans so I can tell you that bad news that I have. Keep it. Keep, so keep on flopping. Stay cool. Have a great summer. Love, Elliot. No, no, <laughs> Elliot. I. Uh, this now we're getting into real real stuff here. I know I uh, <laughs> as is often the case with me who is maybe a kind-hearted man who doesn't know how to express uh, such things and often is rude accidentally. I genuinely appreciate the fact that I know that I you always have my back uh both both as a friend and on the show with uh, some sort of quick He did yeah, describe it as a hole in a ship and then when he can't talk you're sinking and you saved his life with your constant never-ending babble yeah wait (laughs) wait, wait, we we got another letter coming in hold on (laughs) dear daniel kirk mccoy Uh, our client elliot kalen has decided not to bring action against you after hearing your recent explanation though he was has initiated legal proceedings against you on charges of slander and defamation (laughs) he has decided after remembering your friendship not to do so (laughs) please consider this a favor he has done you you now owe him a favor in a very legally binding sense oh wow sincerely yours love the law offices of Kalen, Kalen, and Kalen. So, P.S. P.S. We are not related to Elliot Kalen, and therefore it is still ethical for us to represent him in court. Oh, well, I was worried. So, so Elliot, I haven't been able to give you a compliment yet, but before I do that, <laughs> I'm going to need your birth date, the location of your birth, and the time you were born. <laughs> um, uh, it seems like a lot of a lot of information. Uh, yeah, just put that on the podcast. Well, uh, uh, Stuart, I'll give you that information later, so that I guess you can have access to my access to my bank account. Uh, and Dan, what's our other letter? Are there any letters that are not from me today? Uh, we we have a couple of them. This first one's from Kevin, last name withheld, who writes, "Hey, floppers, I know it's a, uh, become a popular cliche to complain that Hollywood doesn't have any original ideas anymore. Does it ever?" Even though I think (laughs) people have probably been saying that since the concept of Hollywood became a thing. But as trite as it sounds, I've been thinking lately about films that have potential to be good, but suffer too much from their connection to the source material. For example, I think I would have enjoyed the movie Joker a lot more if it had been the story of a failed comedian dealing with a murderous, trauma-induced mental illness and didn't also have to carry the burden of the Joker mythology. Or, in a different vein, I would have found The Greatest Showman a more appealing uh, more appealing as a ambitious musical about a fictional circus manager than a biopic about terrible human being P.T. Barnum. Plus, the creators could likely have made more interesting choices without them feeling out of place. I'm curious, do you all have movies that you wish had been disconnected from the larger stories that inspired them? Thanks for considering Kevin Lasting Withheld. One thing that came to my mind is a movie that I'm sure that we will cover on the podcast at some point, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I uh, saw because my friends were like, you want to see Ghostbusters Afterlife? I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll do whatever dumb thing. And um, Well, thanks yeah, for they, providing that backstory, Dan. Yeah, that was an amazing tale. Clown, of, everybody. <laughs> just, I'm, just, I'm just so glad we could hear that, that, that story of tragedy and triumph I, against the odds. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it would be slightly unusual that I ran out and saw Ghostbusters Afterlife with I would I would say it falls squarely within your demographic as someone who grew up watching Ghostbusters. Yeah, but I knew I like the 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 
I will just say that the trailer contained nothing that appealed to me. Oh, um, I see. But having but I, seen but I it, remember I remember talking to you once and you said, you know what was missing from Ghostbusters? Cornfields. I wish it wasn't <laughs> set in New York because I wanted more cornfields and but wheat they kept fields. But the, they kept the orangutan Ghostbuster, right? Yeah, that's a different. That's <laughs> yeah, it was the original. What? So you're saying it's based on the original, original Ghostbusters? Yeah. There's two guys in an orangutan. <laughs> no, I. This is a weird thing to say uh, for a movie that is so much fan service. Like it seems like without the connection to Ghostbusters, there's no movie left. But the stuff in it that I enjoyed had nothing to do with Ghostbusters. I mean, particularly also, there's a whole nother level of poisonousness of like. It coming after the female-led Ghostbusters and all the like, I'm giving it back to the fans bullshit, which is like, you know, it's a, it's a, it is categorically a worse movie than the Ghostbusters that was all women. But the parts of it that were not Ghostbusters, I kind of enjoyed as like, oh, this is an attempt to do like an Amblin style movie, and I like Carrie Coon a lot, and I like uh, uh, McKenna Grace, the young actress who plays uh, Egon's. Uh, 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 granddaughter is very good in it, I thought. And there's just stuff in it that I'm like, wow, if this was unburdened from being a Ghostbusters movie, I could see myself enjoying this. But the fact that it is a largely humorless film that is <laughs> based on a straight-up comedy is really a tripping point. Uh, but what what other ones do you have? Uh, I, would, I would really, which, seeing I haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife yet, and I would really like to do it for the podcast at some point. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, for me, I think I've, I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before. I think that the movie solo from, uh, this is the movie solo from 2018, a star Wars story, not solo starring Mario Van Peebles from 1996, <laughs> uh, that, which is not which connected is a, to a previously existing, a oh, no, movie. it's based on a novel, I guess, yeah, which is a great movie that the movie solo, a star Wars story that I would, I think I would have enjoyed it more and I think people would have liked it more if it was not a Star Wars movie. If it was, because then it becomes just kind of like a fun science fiction adventure movie, and you don't have the worst parts of it, which is explaining how he got the name Solo, <laughs> explaining where his jacket came from, explaining how Chewbacca got the nickname Chewie. Like you know, it's the, like a all the reasons lose they, all that stuff. they made the movie were. I'm pretty sure the pitch was we finally get to find out where he got his name. Yeah, it's like Solo's a weird name. How did he get that? And it's like yeah, it's Star in a Wars. galaxy it's filled a, with normal style names. Yeah, we can finally explain how Dengar or Salacious Crumb or Greedo got their names. Like mm. it's, but uh, it, well, see, Greedo is greedy. He is greedy. Oh. That's, you know, that's and Italian. And and Rodians are named for the trait they'll probably have when they grow up. So the same Greedo, way that, the, the lost Marx brother. Yeah, <laughs> the same way that well, because not lost, he was shot. That's why he wasn't in any of the movies. He was shot by mm. Han Solo. Uh, uh, the the uh, but it's a uh, it feels like it's a fun movie that it that only suffers from comparison and connection with the other Star Wars movies and um, I'm sure that I'll feel that way about some Marvel movie that comes up someday where I'll be like I kind of wish this wasn't like a Marvel connected movie you know it hasn't happened yet but it will yeah, Stuart yeah. what about you I mean I don't I don't think I really have much to add to it I mean I feel like. Uh, Solo is such an obvious example, but like I feel like for the most part, I would prefer uh, more uh, sci-fi properties that aren't tied to an existing property. Uh, you know, like star, uh, like sci-fi movies and shows. Well, I would uh, say like it's, and you, I'm sure you'd probably be okay with like an adaptation of a book, just not a not a yeah. show that is tied into like a large universe of pre-existing films. You know, yeah, or TV I, shows. 
Yeah, I don't need it. I'd rather watch something like fucking Raised by Wolves, that wacky sci-fi Ridley Scott show that's basically like a like a heavy metal comic come to life uh, than, <laughs> uh, you know, something that's, you know, Star Wars-y right now. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, this is the one I thought of, um, which is weird because I really enjoyed this movie. Did you guys see Rampage? Um, no, I didn't see no. it. Uh, I remember the game very well. I remember the game very well. It got me into the theater. My son and I loved it. It's a lot of fun. But I was t- randomly talking about this before you guys told me about this letter. The beginning of the movie is The Rock, who is very antisocial, doesn't go out, doesn't have friends, doesn't want to date, but mostly because he's really close to his g- favorite gorilla. And he doesn't, <laughs> at nighttime, he doesn't want to go home. He only does whatever he has to do, and then comes back to work to hang out with his gorilla. And that's sort of the little through line is it's not until the end that he makes a friend. It's not really a a romantic uh, connection, just any friend. But the beginning of the movie is so fun because people are pushing him to go have a social life, and it's The Rock, and he's not made up to look less like The Rock. He's good-looking, he's charming, he's Yeah, he's super charismatic. He's super sexy, but the only friend he has is this gorilla. gorilla. (laughs) It's the only one he can connect to. He really has to get back early in the morning so he can hang out with his gorilla. And my son and I were joking, it would be really fun to watch a movie about if you got rid of the rampage part where ultimately him, a giant wolf, and this other creature took down the city. If it was just about like a you, me, and Dupree him, his gorilla, <laughs> and the new girl in his life seemed like a much more, a much funnier, more original movie. If you could just shed the whole, we need to destroy buildings with giant animals. Yeah. So when it you watch like the movie, movie, I highly recommend if you don't, just, I think that's a, another option, another direction the movie could have gone that we would have liked. I feel like that's the kind of direction, like if they had made that movie in the eighties when they're like, we don't have the budget to destroy a city, but we do have a budget to hang out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's like how the original, the, the Tim Burton Batman movie, every time I watch it, I'm like, I forgot how much of this movie is the Joker just watching television and getting <laughs> mad at the television. Like, there's a lot of that. And it's it's fun to watch characters hang out sometimes. Yeah. Uh, this last letter is, uh, it falls under the the correction house uh, side oh. of letters. This is from Joseph last name with task. What did I not, say wrong about no, something not, this time? No, it's not you. I think it was me oh. this time. Because uh, I often I often get minor things wrong about like Star Wars and people are like, mm, excuse me, actually, and I go, I'm the one who's supposed to do that. I don't like it being done to me. Yeah. Ah. So this this whole podcast has been an elaborate way of teaching you, Elliot. <laughs> we got to keep doing it because I still have not learned my lesson. Uh, the, not sure if David's jurisdiction extends to obscure non-American, hyper regionally specific sports, but I believe the Peaches may have misidentified the sport being played in House of Gucci. Now you're well, referring now. Th- now you're referring to what David Kalen is the David they're talking about, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. David not, not our, not our guest Kalen. today. Not our guest today, Dave Jester, but my brother, mm-hmm. sports fan David Kalen. Got it. Yeah. Um, while rugby is a very physical sport, you are not allowed to just brawl in order to clear a path for the ball to be carried. A sport where this is allowed is Calcio Fiorentino or Calcio Storico normally translate, translated as historic football or Florentine kicking game. I like that. <laughs> the game is basically now That sounds like the bootleg version of football that you would buy at a bodega. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a Florentine yeah. kicking game. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, no, Grandma got me the N64 <laughs> tape of 
Uh, there's Florentine a year I wanted, game. I wanted the Super Bowl, and she got me Florentine <laughs> kicking games. You couldn't tell the difference. It's still got John Madden on it, though. <laughs> oh, rest in peace. There's a yearly tournament between the four quarters of Florence played in Piazza Santa Croce. I think that might be what they were playing, but I'm not sure. For Elliot, who has stopped listening by now, the, the sport has a comics connection. Megaton from the comic Bitch Planet is based on the game. Joseph oh. Lester. So there you go. You learn why, why more does that about obscure writer sport. assume Elliot stopped listening? Is that a thing on the podcast? You often uh, no. I mean, just it's a, it was a correct assumption because I don't really, I don't, I just don't, not that interested in sports and didn't really need mm. to know. Uh, yeah. But but uh, I'm glad that they brought me back. That was when I heard my name again. I said, "Huh? What?" And I stopped thinking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. I stopped stopped thinking about a cowboy riding a Deinonychus across the across the American <laughs> desert, uh, being chased by other cowboys that are riding like uh, you know tyrannosauruses. Yeah, talk about a real blood meridian. Well, now... <laughs> no, there's no dinosaurs in blood meridians, too. <laughs> Wait, for real? Yeah, you got to reread that book. I think you were imagining them riding dinosaurs, which oh, is not man. in the text. I mean, maybe I you could bring it in in your adaptation. So I think this is why Carson McCullers has been has been denying your, your attempts to adapt it into a screenplay every Wait, time you Carson, get in touch with them. Who's Carson McCullers? Oh, sorry, I meant, sorry, I meant Cormac McCarthy. Sorry. Did he write the book I read? <laughs> no, no, sorry. You know what it is, is that... Carson McCullers is Blood Meridian. A different book is uh, is Dinosaurs, and Cormac McCarthy is <laughs> not. As we established um, in a previous episode, Cormac McCarthy is, is all about freaking people out and doing things that oh are real man. fucked Dropping up. Dropping some twisted, fucked up shit on y'all norms. <laughs> yep. Um, let's let's move into the last segment, which is, of course, uh, recommendations of films that maybe you should watch instead of the one we watched. Uh, for this podcast, although if you um, watch if you watch the one that we watched today, uh, do you, Dave, do you get residuals still for it? Oh, I can't imagine. In the end, when we finally did get credit, the production company had gone bankrupt, so we never quite got <laughs> our money. We never got the credit uh, we needed for health insurance. So I can't imagine I make any money. But I, I you might be able to. Maybe there's something legally where you can assert ownership of the rights, and now you can own the movie and do what you want with it. Uh, that's a great idea. Would you guys help me edit another version, or maybe, or just Imagine. an hour and a half of dancing? We just pour through the unused, <laughs> the unused dancing footage and see what we can cobble together. Yeah, yeah we we'll open, we open on dancing, <laughs> accidental <laughs> dancing. Um, Wait, so they're dancing, and then it says, er, "You're probably wondering how we got yeah, to this dance." Yeah. Well, let me explain, and then it yeah. just cuts to more dancing. Always <laughs> oh, cool. Always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um. So for my recommendation, um, I'm gonna mispronounce some more Italian words and say Excellent. that uh, uh, I watched uh, Tenebrae recently on Shudder, and uh, I, you know I I'm coming around on like Italian horror. I'm up and down on for some reason the illogic and uh, strange plots bother me more in supernatural horror, but um, Jallos, where it's just you know a slasher who done it. I I'm I, f I find that I'm fond of them, and I, I guess you know as a Brian De Palma fan, it's not weird that I would like just like <laughs> sleazy weird uh, murder mysteries. Uh, and Tenebrae mm -hmm. is 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 a really over the top one where it's like it just seems like uh, Argento is fucking around and being like, let me construct a bunch of elaborate uh thriller sequences just to show off and uh is I that the one with hoot. max von sydow and somebody kills somebody with a flute 
Uh, I, no, it's not that. You, John Saxon is in it. Oh. Uh, as a, he's not the main character. He's like the, the main character is an, a book author, uh, you know, like a writer of thrillers who then gets involved in uh, murders in Italy where uh, someone is doing copycat stuff. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it, 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 it is one of these movies that is just absurd plotting uh thriller set pieces and sleaze and if that's your kind of thing it's fun uh Stuart what do you got uh I'm gonna recommend uh, a movie that I don't know uh that's uh, that's up for a couple of awards right now uh it's the new Sean Baker movie called a red rocket uh it's uh kind of follows along Sean Baker's uh movies that are like kind of I feel like they kind of walk the line of exploitative um and it is about a down on his luck uh, porn star, former male porn star, who uh, goes back to the small town in Texas that he's from. Uh, he's at a very low point, and he has to hustle his way back on top. Um, and he is a uh, like a shitty scheming hustler character, but there's also a certain amount of charm and charisma to him. Uh, and he also runs around. You get to see his giant dong flopping. Uh, and <laughs> it has probably the single best use of the one song that's, uh, that's featured in the movie. Uh, so I totally recommend it for that. Um, but it is like, it's a difficult, it can be a difficult movie to watch, uh, partly because, uh, I mean, there's, there's a, a certain amount of grooming and sexual creepiness between an older man and a younger woman. Uh, but, uh, it, I found it to be a, like a, a fun and like tense movie. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie. I've been on a, a little bit of a Denzel Washington kick lately, and why not? Because mm -hmm. he's great. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really enjoyed his Macbeth movie that he made, which is called Denzel Macbeth. And <laughs> I thought the uh, I th I th I that's not the movie I'm recommending tonight, but I did like the tragedy of Macbeth a lot. And I did find it amazing that the the Macbeth movie was the movie I felt had the fastest and briskest pacing of any major Hollywood film that I saw released this year <laughs> that it was like, I'm like, oh, this new James Bond movie is almost three hours long. Well, let me see how long Macbeth is. An hour and 40 minutes. Fantastic. Ooh, um, slam dunk. But uh, I recently watched the first time Devil in a Blue Dress, uh, the mystery that he did in the mid-90s, uh, based on the book by Walter Mosley, and I'm recommending it even though when I worked at Barnes Noble, Walter Mosley came in and was very rude to me once. But uh, that's that's a story for another time. But uh, <laughs> But... Uh, it's a, it's set right after World War II and Denzel Washington is Easy Rollins, this guy who's just lost his job for talking back, which he's, people don't want him to do because he is a black man in the late 40s in LA. And he gets caught up in a mystery, uh, that kind of leads him to becoming a detective, even though he wasn't one before. And the mystery itself is like, fine, like it's okay, but Denzel Washington's so good in it and the atmosphere of it is so great and the performances are so great. They do a great job of making like – I feel like in the in the early 90s, in the mid-90s, they were still doing like period films where they went all out with like the sets and the costumes and the cars in a way that felt very real. And uh, he's – and it's it's just a really uh, – the atmosphere of it is really fantastic. And Don Cheadle is uh, plays a supporting role in it as uh, Easy's friend Mouse who is a very casual – psychopathic murderer he's dead he's devoted to his friend but he's kind of quick to kill and john Cheadle, don Cheadle is so good in it uh yeah. and it was just a performance of his i hadn't seen before and they're it both really great in it a breakout role for him too like even though that that yeah. movie was not 
a huge like box office success. If it, only it was, though, it was one that like really catapulted them to bigger things. I feel like watching yeah. you're like, why wasn't this a bigger hit? And why didn't they make like five or six more of these? Yeah. Well, it, you can tell that they 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 would the, the plan seems to be like we're going to make an an easy Rollins series now. But I think the the real problem is that the mystery at the heart of it is not the most compelling, interesting mystery. But you want to spend time with these characters and. The the and you and seeing Denzel Washington playing this character is just like really entertaining and affecting. So like it's worth watching for the performances and the atmosphere. And just don't worry too much about. I mean, the plot is fine, but it's not like um, it. It feels like one of many movies I've seen where like they're kind of going for Chinatown, and they and the the story is just not up to Chinatown level. You know, uh, like um, uh, Motherless Brooklyn is kind of like that too where they're like, this is going to be the Chinatown for New York and the highways and the expressways. And it's just like, well, but it's not, but like, this isn't as good as Chinatown. But, yeah. uh, but Devil in Blue Dress, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Dave, do you have a movie you'd like to recommend? Um, well, obviously everyone should watch Rampage, for sure. <laughs> um, but <laughs> At least movie, the first 10 minutes of it. At least yeah. the first. Uh, another movie that I recently rewatched, you guys are probably, if you're old, horror movie buffs. Um, I watched right when... You know, like uh, uh, video stores at first opened up and our parents were like, go get whatever you want. And I watched an old, it was a 1982 horror film, Basket Case. Have you guys seen that mm-hmm. movie? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, well, first of all, I watched it, I guess I was nine or ten years old, which might be too young. And it always uh, stuck for the, with For the me. movie, the, the, the movie where, where, uh, where a monster twin is killing prostitutes? Yeah, yeah. not <laughs> raping and killing prostitutes. Oh, right, right, The, the yeah. opening scene is them sort of cutting him off of his side. And it wasn't till recently... Uh, as much as that movie seeped into my nightmares and subconscious for years, I had a cyst removed that was uh, determined to be a dermoid cyst, which is, you know, the process of the egg uh, splitting. When you're born, one of them, it almost turns into a twin, but then can be absorbed by your body. So I had one, I had one living like right over here, I guess, and I had it removed. And that was exactly what that movie was about, was... That twin obviously grew a little bit more like Quado off of his body. Was a little bit more than a you little were. bit more. <laughs> yeah. Into so, a, you, so you're a saying human. you what? So with you were like basket case, huh? Well, there, but for the grace of God, like <laughs> yeah. that could have been my story. So it was years later when I got when I had the dermoid cyst, and then it came back. You know, I had forgotten about it for years. That it really. So maybe this is more of a movie that you should watch if you want to get to know me. Really, <laughs> what my story could have been, but uh, yeah. uh, and my my kids think it's so funny that I had my twin brother or sister living in my head, and now that I've show uh, I've watched that movie again, it really it really speaks to me about what could have been if if I had if, he, if my brother or sister had only grown a little bit more. But I yeah. love that movie; yeah. it's the first real like twisted, you know, poorly uh, conceived, and and it was a lot of bad stop motion. It's a movie too, and if you and it's a lot of it is shot in Forty Second Street or in the Times Square area in New York at the yeah. time in, in the early eighties, yep. late seventies, and it's full like on grimy New York. Yeah, full on, like if you want to see if you want to see the New York that everyone's nostalgic for when it was <laughs> when it was when it was uh, when it was just like gross and grimy and grimy, then uh, basket, basket Case is a good place to go for it. Grimy and grimy. Grimy and Grimy is also a children's story that I'm working on where it's a it's one one kid's just always dirty and the other one's always committing crimes. Mm-hmm. Well, before we sign off, I'd like to uh, thank our guest, Dave Jesser. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I think Dave may have frozen. Hold oh, on. Oh, no. I think he's having internet problems. Well, I'd like to say thank you to our guests, 
Matthew Silverstein and Dave Jesser. And uh, I would say to our listeners, if you have a moment, please go to iTunes and leave us a review to help spread the word about the show. You can follow the Flophouse Pod on Twitter and the Flophouse Podcast on Instagram. Apologies for the difference. And you can go to youtube.com slash the Flophouse Podcast. Yet a third option uh, to see our YouTube channel. Um, if you would like Flophouse merch of any kind, if you go to flophousepodcast.com and click on the merch tab, that's where you can find that. Um, we're a member of the Maximum Fun Network. Go to maximumfun.org to check out all the great podcasts on the network. Thank you to our producer, Alex Smith. He is at Howell Doughty on Twitter. That's H O W E L L D A W D Y on Twitter to see what else he's up to. Um, we had briefly lost uh, Dave uh, off of the call earlier um, yeah just just the just because of the internet not we just because of the internet but uh yeah. now that he is back uh i just wanted to ask is there anything you would like to plug before we say our absolute final sign off uh i just like to say that for about five seconds there my biggest nightmare came true where i shared the most deepest most personal intimate details about my mm-hmm. physical repulsion that lived inside of me and i thought you guys cut me off <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Cut you off like you were a dermoid cyst. Yeah, you're like, yeah. kill this asshole's mic. We don't need this. Get it out of here. <laughs> this is no. disgusting. Who is this freak that you brought on to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, any, anytime you want to come on and tell us stories about gross things that got cut off of you, please do. Um, right. Yeah, we really appreciate it. No, I have nothing to plug. Watch, I guess, Housebroken. Um, and and uh, you guys are all awesome. Uh, this oh, was so much you. fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much uh, for being on the show. It was great. Yes, thanks for being on the show. Thank you to the audience for listening. But until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin, and joining us has been... Dave Jesser. And also Matt Silverstein, but he had to run. Bye. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Excellent. Very nicely done. Okay, we did. Very nicely done. (laughs) Now record. No, no. (laughs) No, no. Oh, Dave, you should. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. The Three Stooges make a podcast. (laughs) So we start recording after we finish? No, you you knucklehead. What? (laughs) Okay. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.